Joe Biden is admitting that he is being tested regularly. You know, we're all waiting on these tests and we're leading the world in tests. He's not being tested for coronavirus. No, no, he's being tested for something far more important to him and his campaign. He's being tested for cognitive decline. Last question real quick. Some have speculated sir, line, that, that, you, that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline. I'm 65. I don't have word recollection that I used to have. I forget my train of thought from time to time. You got 12 years on me, sir. Are, have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline? I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. Look, all, you, all I got to do is watch me and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. Thank you so much. The man I'm running against whose name I just can't happen to remember right now. I don't, what's his name? It's a Ronald or something. I don't know. It's some, anyway, I'm running against him. He's something like that. Probably would have had a stronger effect had he not opened his answer with a joke about lion dog faced pony soldiers. The cognitive decline is clear and the cognitive decline makes the campaign clear. This lockdown, this no debates, no rallies, this coronavirus is the Biden campaign. We'll get into it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I think while Joe Biden is on a cognitive decline, all the rest of us are becoming, uh, we're entering into a cognitive incline. We're beginning to realize what this whole last three months is really about, at least from the perspective of the media and from politicians. Joe Biden had not held a presser for 88 days. 88 days, you'll notice, is just about the whole length of the lockdown. And the Biden campaign had never done better. You know, before that lockdown, campaign looked really bad. Trump was leading him everywhere. Now, 88 days later, all of a sudden in national polls and in the swing state polls, Trump's campaign is down. Biden's campaign is up. Biden's campaign is up because nobody's seen Joe Biden. He has been hiding out in a basement. And if he could hide out there until November 3rd, he certainly would do that. He finally comes out. He's got handpicked reporters in the room. He still takes a, a relatively tough question, which is just, are, are you in cognitive decline? He doesn't know how to answer it and doesn't answer it convincingly. Then it, it's just one mistake after another. So at the very open to the conference, right? This is the moment when you want to project confidence, when you want to show I'm back, forget about those 88 days that I've been hiding. Biden accidentally admits that his campaign handpicked all the reporters and told him to look out for certain reporters and to only call on the easy ones. I'm happy to take questions if you have them. He gave me a list of how to recognize. Is Alex AP out there? That's the part you're not supposed to say. I think the name also is Alex, not Alex, but that's neither here nor there. You're not supposed to say that they gave you a list of people to recognize and only call on the easy ones. And then he did get easy questions. Just consider this. Two days ago, during a White House press briefing, Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany was asked the question of whether President Trump was upset that the Confederacy lost the Civil War. That was an actual question in a White House press briefing. Compare that kind of questioning to these softballs for Joe Biden. I was told by NBC, Mike, it's Mike's great relief. He doesn't have to follow me every day around the country. Well, the last time, Mr. Vice President, a lot of us saw you on the campaign trail. You were still locked in a very difficult nomination battle. 
Uh, the polls, though, today show you with a, a sizable national lead, a lead in a lot of the states that are critical in the Electoral College. I wonder where do you think the race stands at this moment? What keeps you up at night uh, as you look ahead? And can you maintain this advantage without campaigning in a traditional way, especially this fall when voters begin to really tune in? Uh, do you think that you'll be able to just be as successful and wonderful as you are right now? Do you think you'll be able to keep doing that? Mr. Vice President, hard-hitting questions there from NBC News. It's the sort of question that we can come to expect. You know, I, I think that the Trump campaign and the president have made some missteps during this lockdown. Uh, we'll get into what some of those are in just a moment. But you can't discount the media here. The fact is, during a real presidential campaign, Joe Biden would, if he were, wouldn't be asked tough questions by reporters, he would make mistakes himself. But what this coronavirus lockdown has managed to do is cancel the campaign. So he hasn't had to do that. This is his first press conference in three months and is probably not going to be doing a second one anytime soon. So he gets these easy questions. Then he's asked how to get Americans on the same page since everything now, including the virus, has become so woefully politicized. Well, I think the way to get it on the same page is to, uh, I'm going to try to say this uh, politely, is to lower the rhetoric based on division. Stop appealing to the uh, the less healthy side of society. That's embarrassing. That's an, that's an embarrassing answer. One, because he doesn't have an answer to the question, right? He says, uh, we're going to lower, we're going to lower it by lowering the rhetoric. And, but he, he both doesn't have an answer. Like he hasn't thought of an answer. And he also can't come up with an answer because he's obviously in cognitive decline and has been, I don't think we're telling tales at a school. I don't think I'm, a, I'm an armchair psychologist. He can't finish an English sentence, but think about what he, what he did manage to say. See, what he said was, we're going to lower rhetoric. The usual way to bring Americans together, the usual way to bring people together in politics is to make your argument clearly, give your vision for the country, and then your opponent gives his vision for the country, and then whichever vision of the country you, the people want, that's the one they go with. But Joe Biden doesn't have a vision for the country, doesn't have any answers to these questions. His answer is lower the rhetoric, which means reduce the politics, reduce the amount that we're discussing, reduce the power of the people, reduce the freedom of the people to choose their own leaders and to choose their own path. This has been the leftist premise for a hundred years now. Take the important questions out of politics, give them to experts, usually wearing lab coats and, and one of those we have coming up. And then we don't need to worry about all this political rancor. That is what the liberal establishment, and is there any greater representative of the liberal establishment than Joe Biden? That's what they're selling you, is a politics without politics. And then, Joe, and then Donald Trump comes along and ruins their plans because he actually brings up some questions about immigration, about trade, about how we govern ourselves, about what institutions of the government actually make the rules. He shakes up the system and says, hold on, you've had a lot of your power taken away, people. And Joe Biden comes and it says the way I'm going to bring people together, I'm going to lower the amount of politics that we have all together. No campaigns, probably no debates, no nothing, just a rigged system to get them into office. And it was at this moment that I realized what this whole lockdown 
is really about, which we'll get to in one second. But first, I want to thank our friends over at BlinkSale, the revolutionary invoicing software that is changing the landscape for small businesses and independent contractors everywhere. You should not have to send nagging emails to get your invoices paid. Uh, when I was freelancing, even today, I still do some work on contract. I, I always forget to send the invoices and then I forget to follow up. With BlinkSale, you can send beautiful custom branded invoices and estimates within seconds. You can stay on top of your outstanding invoices. Let your customers and clients easily pay your invoices online. You'll even get instant notifications when a customer opens your invoice so that you'll know if they're actually just trying to avoid paying you. Forget about using invoice templates or stressing about coordinating a bunch of different software programs. BlinkSale takes care of it all so that you can spend more time focusing on the work that actually gets you paid and actually makes your business a success. Definitely go check it out. See for yourself. Try BlinkSale for free at BlinkSale.com slash Knowles. That is B-L-I-N-K-S-A-L-E dot com slash Knowles. BlinkSale. Spend less time billing and more time doing what you love. At this point in the Biden presser, I realized what the coronavirus lockdown is all about. We talked yesterday about how it, it, there's no medical purpose to the lockdown anymore. The point of the lockdown was not to stop the virus or to cure the virus, right? Well, it's, it couldn't possibly achieve that. The only point was to flatten the curve, not overwhelm the healthcare system. We never even came close to over, overwhelming the healthcare system. We did that. We achieved the only thing the lockdowns could achieve. The only purpose of the lockdowns at this point could be political. And what's the political purpose? It occurred to me yesterday that the lockdown is Biden's campaign. It's the whole campaign. How did I figure this out? Because Joe Biden mentioned during this presser, first one in 88 days, he's not going to campaign. He's not going to hold rallies. He's, so he cares so much about his fellow Americans that he's going to sit at home until he wins the presidency by default. Well, you know, I, uh, this is the most unusual <laughs> campaign, I think, in modern history. In that, uh, but I start off with the premise, Mike, that I'm going to follow the doc's orders, not just for me, but for the country. And uh, that means that uh, I am not going to be holding rallies. I am not going to be, uh, for example, you all are here, but thank the school has put those circles around so we keep the social distancing. Everybody has masks on. As soon as I finish this, I'll put my mask back on. Um, and uh, so it's all been, almost all been virtual. Although I have gone to Houston, I have gone into Pennsylvania, I have gone to Virginia, I have traveled, but what I do, I get in, make my case, and leave, take questions, and leave. And, uh, and so, uh, but you know me, I'd much rather be out there with people because that's where I get the greatest feel. Okay, first of all, not the best choice of words for Joe Biden. You don't want to talk about how you want to be around people because you can feel them. Sort of a side point, this is so corrupt. This answer is so unbelievably corrupt. The first part, he says, I'm not going to hold rallies, meaning I'm not going to campaign, meaning it's the beginning, setting the stage for the excuse of why he's not going to participate in a debate with Donald Trump. That's the first part. If he's not holding rallies, he's not holding a campaign, then how on earth could he go to a debate? It's the same point. He says, I, I just don't want to bring people together in a physical location, so therefore I'm not going to, I'm not going to campaign. He's 
not going to be able to back out of the debate unless he starts to set the stage now. So that's the first part. And why won't he debate Trump? Because Trump would eat him for lunch. There would be nothing left other than Joe Biden's very shiny teeth, just, just chattering there. There is, he got very good looking teeth. I assume they're not natural, but they, that, that would be the last thing left. Okay. The second part, why won't he hold the campaign doctor's orders? Well, not just for me, but for the country. This is something we've talked about now for weeks, which is that what the left does is they exploit science, capital S, trademark over the E, to avoid politics. The whole thing Biden's been talking about in this presser. So he's saying, ah, the doctor, doctor's orders to the country is we can't have a presidential campaign and you just got to elect me. No, actually, that doctors don't diagnose countries. Doctors diagnose individual patients. What you do, political demagogues like you, diagnose countries and tell them to just do whatever you say. So he's saying in the name of science, we can't have a presidential campaign this year. But then he realized he is in public. He is doing a thing right now, right? He actually is traveling around the country occasionally, at least to raise a little bit of money, at least to make a comment here or a comment there. So he has to back, he goes, and that's why, you know, we all have to wear masks. And, and I'm going to wear my mask just as soon as I get off this stage. It's like Andy Cuomo yesterday, shaming Trump for not wearing a mask. Andy Cuomo himself wasn't wearing the mask. And that's why I'm not going to bring any people together in a room. Well, I mean, I know I brought all of you together in the room, but that's because it was politically convenient for me. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that after this. And I'm not going to travel. I mean, I know that I travel to some places, but I'm only going to travel when it's convenient for me. It's all just BS, okay? The whole thing is BS. Every day, this lockdown, this absolutely medically pointless lockdown goes on, is a, a point you can take away from Donald Trump's tally in the presidential race and a point you can add to Joe Biden's tally. It's the only way they can win. And it's the only explanation for why the lockdown is still going on. What is the other explanation? They're talking about how the cases are exploding. Sure, but the deaths are not. The number of deaths are not. And the death rate is not. And if the whole point of the virus is we don't have a cure for it, we don't have a vaccine, then there's nothing the lockdowns can do. All you can do is flatten the curve. We already did that. I'm so frustrated with Republican governors, and even some people on campaigns who think that, that this is still about medical science, who think that this is a fair playing field. It's not. It's a setup, folks. Got to stop it. I hope that people from Republican campaigns, including the biggest one, are listening right now. You have to run against the lockdowns. You've got to run hard against the lockdowns. The lockdown is the entirety of Joe Biden's and the Democrats' campaigns. If, if the Democrats had a capable candidate who is articulate, who they thought could beat Donald Trump in a debate, you can bet your last dollar they would be holding rallies every single week. You can bet it, but they're not, okay? And so they've got to walk back. They've got to lean back on an absolutely corrupted and perverted exploitation of science. Enough on that. Let's move on to the scientist that we've all come to exalt. Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him. Rand Paul figured this out. Senator Rand Paul, who has been kind of snuffing this out from the very beginning, he was speaking with the exalted Dr. Fauci, and he, he honed in on a point that I think is one way that we're going to be able to back moderates and some liberals off from their religious devotion to the lockdowns. That point is sending kids back to school. All of this body of evidence about schools around the world shows there's no surge. 
All of the evidence shows that it's rare. I mean, we've so politicized this and made it politically correct that the WHO releases that it's rare and you have a scientist up there honestly giving her opinion. What happens to her? She's blackballed and her, her report that she refers to is taken off the website. When you go to that, the, that scientist's speech and you, and you try to lick, clink on the lick, the WHO has now screened it from us because it said something that's not politically correct. It, guess what? It's rare for kids to transmit this. But I hear nothing of that coming from you. All I hear, Dr. Fauci, is we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't play baseball. Well, even that's not based on the science. I mean, flu season peaks in February. We don't know that COVID's gonna be like the flu season. It might, but we don't know that. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't ban school in October. You might close some schools when they get the flu. We need to not be so presumptuous that we know everything. We need to not be so presumptuous that we know anything. I, that could sum up the whole era that we're living in. But as long as we are living in this era where the, the most important thing to have is some credential to say that you're part of the scientific establishment, don't forget, Rand Paul is a scientist, right? He's a medical doctor. And so it carries extra weight when he lobbies these criticisms. I think he's honed in on, a, on an important message here that Republicans would do well to listen to, which is the schooling issue. What's going to happen in the fall? A lot of colleges are not going to reopen. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I usually give, what, eight or nine speeches on campuses a semester. Those have, virtually all of them have been canceled so far because we don't even know if the schools are going to reopen. But colleges are the least of it. I mean, sure, I've got friends who now are going to graduate school or who, who now will have to do Zoom classes for college. Fine. What about people in high school? or middle school, or elementary school? What about those students uh, whose parents need to figure out what's going to happen to them every single day? There, there are some proposals going around in New York and other places, I mean, you're talking about huge school districts, that say they're going to reopen the schools only a little bit, so, which obviously would serve no purpose. If you go to school even one day a week, or one day a month even, you're going to be exposed to the virus, and it's not going to achieve anything. But some of the proposals are they're going to go in person to school two days a week, and then they're going to be home from school three days a week and do it on Zoom. So medically achieves nothing. But economically, how is that supposed to work? Just to use the example of New York City, if you are a parent in New York City, it is a statistical certainty that you work. You have to work because it's a very expensive place to live and a very, very expensive place to raise kids. So the parents there are working. What are they supposed to do? They're going to call in their boss and say, hey, I'm going to need off three days a week. I can't tell you what the three days are, by the way, yet. And I'm not sure when it's going to be set, but I'm, I'm going to need that. So I'm going to start working two days a week now. Is that cool with you? Imagine if you called your boss and said that. Probably would not go over very well. As a practical matter, you can't do it. This is why from the beginning, the, the lockdown proponents have been trying to figure out the school issue. Because they, they actually said in Los Angeles, they said, we're, 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 I think throughout all of California, we're not going to reopen churches until phase three, but we're going to try to reopen schools in phase two, or it's phase four versus phase three or whatever. They knew that they had to reopen the, the schools early because there's just this First of all, they want to keep indoctrinating your kids. But second of all, there's just this very practical matter of you don't know what to do with the kids. Whereas they felt they could put off allowing people to go back to their churches for a longer time. This would be a good one to hammer home on. You know, there was a, a decision that came out from the Supreme Court yesterday. Finally, some slightly good news from the Supreme Court that is more permissive of school choice. 
and of religious schools and, you know, in, in a week that's been very trying or two weeks that's been very trying on the Supreme Court, at least this opened the door to school choice a little bit. Why? Because school choice is very popular. It's always been a good wedge issue for Republicans to talk to demographics that don't usually vote for them. And it's a good, uh, a good issue here in the lockdowns. I, I, at this point, I'm convinced that the Supreme Court just makes their decisions not by reading the law, but by looking at public opinion polling. And then whatever's really popular, that's going to be the decision that they push for uh, in many, many cases. So I think you can actually use that to your advantage here. When you're talking about the, whether or not we're going to reopen anything, just say like, hey, where are they going to make you send your kids? They're not going to let you go back to work. They're not going to let your kid get an education. They're, I think if you focus on that for long enough, you're, you're going to be able to win over some of those moderate with the suburban women, the, the people, the very few people in the middle who don't have a decision yet about this presidential election. Another great wedge issue here is a, another public institution, not the schools. It's the police. How many times have you been told ever since Democrats brought up this idea of defunding the police, that defunding the police doesn't really mean defunding the police. Oh, you fool. You think defunding the police, you think when I said that I meant to defund the police? No, no. It means to move the budgets around and reallocate resources. And well, AOC just came out and exposed that lie completely. She said, quote, defunding police means defunding police. She issued a uh, press release on this yesterday. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, defunding police means defunding police. It does not mean budget tricks or funny math. It does not mean moving school police officers from the NYPD budget to the Department of Education's budget so that the exact same police remain in schools. It does not mean counting overtime cuts as cuts, even as NYPD ignores every attempt by city council to curb overtime spending and overtime, overspends on overtime anyway. She wrote, anyways. AOC. It does not mean hiring more police officers while cutting more than $800 million from New York City public schools. If these reports are accurate, then these proposed cuts to NYPD's budget are a disingenuous illusion. This is not a victory. The fight to defund policing continues. I love her. So often I love, I love this congresswoman because she might have terrible ideas for the country, but at least she tells you what she thinks. Remember with the Green New Deal, she put forward the Green New Deal, which is a radical, transformative, Marxist policy idea that has actually very little to do with the natural environment, has a lot to do with vast redistribution of wealth, nationalizing industries, uh, reparations programs, healthcare programs, all this kind of stuff. And when she put that forward, $93 trillion plan over 10 years, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, came out and said, we got to vote on this immediately. I want to get all you Democrats on the record about this Green New Deal immediately. Well, she's doing that same thing again with defunding the police. A very, very unpopular position. Right now, we're looking at New York City. Yesterday in New York, this, there was this big budget fight to see whether they were going to defund the police or not. Mass gathering, huge gathering outside of City Hall. It, it, was, it was so jubilant. People gathered together in this large group. At one point, they just started dancing. Hey, 
That mass gathering, by the way, totally fine. Coronavirus not going to spread at all. If you want to have a presidential debate or a campaign rally or go to the beach on the 4th of July, that is going to spread coronavirus. But if you want to dance around outside of City Hall and try to destroy the New York City Police Department, best police department in the country, uh, that is totally fine. Just another little example of how super duper serious coronavirus is from a medical perspective. So scientific perspective, pandemic, can't hold a presidential election. So they're dancing around outside and they get their budget cut. $1 billion cut, $1 billion with a B, cut from the NYPD's $6 billion operating budget. That's a, that's a huge percentage, particularly as crime and shootings are way up. They are on the rise. And it's not just New York cutting. Uh, LAPD also cut a lot of money from the budget, not quite like NYPD, but the LA City Council passed a motion to, uh, to one, cut $150 million pass from the, the police budget, and also to replace the Los Angeles Police Department officers with unarmed, quote, crisis response personnel to be assigned to nonviolent calls for service, such as neighbor disputes. I, I, the, the Orwellian politically correct jargon here is really something to behold. They're going to have crisis response personnel for nonviolent calls for service. Now, the thing about nonviolent calls for service is sometimes they turn violent. Sometimes violent calls for service, also known as when you call the cops, start out not very violent. This motion was introduced by uh, LA Councilman Herb Wesson and five other colleagues on the 15-member LA City Council. A and Wesson said he would be working with, on the project with members of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Black Lives Matter, a Marxist organization that seeks to destroy the Western prescribed nuclear family, their words, not mine, and wants to defund police entirely. So what they're doing though, is they're going to take away resources from the cops. Crime is going to go up, shootings are going to go up, killings are going to go up, and they're going to put it in fake cops, some new kind of cops that they're calling crisis response personnel. Well, how is that going to work out? We have an example from the CHOP. Remember the CHOP? I thought the CHOP was over, CHOP Chaz, the, the occupied zone in Seattle. Apparently it's still going on. People are still being killed there by the anarchists. When you replace the police, first of all, when you defund the police, you don't just defund the police. It gets replaced with something. That's what we're seeing in LA. In the CHOP, what it gets replaced with is roving gangs. And unbelievably, the CHOP, which was established putatively because of police brutality and they wanted to stop police brutality, well, they set up their own police force and that police force is now shooting black teenagers and killing them. It's so, it's so ironic. You can't say it's funny, but it's so darkly ironic. You, you, you almost can't even react to it. A 16 year old fatally shot in the CHOP on Monday morning. A 14-year-old, a child, is in critical condition at the Harborview Medical Center. And a volunteer medic, you know, they don't have doctors in the CHOP because it's an independent country. They've got volunteer medics said that it was the CHOP security forces who shot the black teenager. The irony is almost too much. This person also described CHOP as an active war zone. Well, the CHOP is a little crystal ball, my friends. If the CHOP policies begin to be passed in actual cities around the country, in Los Angeles and New York, 
then we're going to see our cities turn into active war zones for the near future. It's already happening. Crime is already on the rise. This is another, from a political perspective, good thing for conservatives to talk about because what it looks like our cities are headed into is the 1970s, urban decay, death, mayhem, destruction, poverty. This led to some Republicans, most notably Rudy Giuliani in New York, getting elected in the 90s and cleaning it up. Because it doesn't matter what you say your political affiliation is and your ideology. and any, When you've got people dropping like flies around you, when, you, when you're afraid to leave your apartment at night, you're going to want a little bit of law and order, a good point to focus on. One, because it could save lives before it gets too bad. And two, from a political perspective, it's, it's one way to exploit what the left is using as their exploitation. You, you want to hit your opponent in politics at the weak point, right? And so right now, Donald Trump's entire campaign is rallies, right? He holds these stand-up specials when he goes to give these rallies. The rest of the campaign is not quite as strong as Trump himself. And so what do, what do the Democrats do? They take Trump's best campaign a platform, segment, opportunity, they take it off the table. So now he's just got the rest of his otherwise not that great campaign. Now, what can we do? We can use what they are doing. We can use that against them on at least those two issues on schools and on cops. There was a, there was a study just came out. Uh, Siena College Research Institute found 57% of New Yorkers, New Yorkers, uh, oppose reducing any reducing funding at all for the police. And 60% said that they opposed defunding the police. That was in a separate question. That's even in New York. So a good one to hit them on. We will get to what happens uh, as this continues. We will also get to uh, the, the rancor. I mean, we looked at the crystal ball of the Chaz. We'll look at the crystal ball of the college campuses in just one second. First though, I've got to thank you because you have allowed my YouTube channel to blow past the 100,000 subscriber mark. We're now past 115,000 subscribers. So thank you. You can check out all the bonus content on that channel. And I, I also have to make one last request of you. We're one spot behind Pod Save America on the Apple podcast charts. And I really don't like those guys, the, the, the liberal pod bros, the Obama alumni. And so I would really like to bl blow past them. That would, that would just be terrific. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, please go over and subscribe on Apple podcasts to the Michael Knowles Show podcast and leave it a five-star review and would greatly appreciate that. If you're not already a Daily Wire member, consider getting a reader's pass at dailywire.com. Great value for only three bucks a month. And when you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents. You also get access to exclusive editorials and lots of fun content. This one from Matt Walsh, activist wants Imagine to be our new anthem. It's the worst song ever written. You know, Matt is always so subtle. He's always so, you never know quite where Matt Walsh stands. So anyway, you get great content like that. Great election insight. Head on over to dailywire.com. Sign up for just a buck. We'll be right back with a lot more. Ernest Hemingway famously pointed out that things happen gradually, then suddenly. I think politics is heating up. It is accelerating at a, a pace that we are not used to in this country. And so a lot of people don't realize that the ground has completely shifted. And we need to recognize that. E frankly, even Joe Biden doesn't 
fully comprehend, well, he doesn't fully comprehend very much, but he doesn't fully comprehend how much the ground has shifted in politics. So for instance, he was, he was asked a question about the statues. Should we pull down Jefferson and Lee and all that? And he gave this answer that is going to please absolutely no one. He tried to walk this line between what he views as the establishment of his party and the radicals of his party, because he thinks that those, those two groups are, are not that far apart. Actually, they are so separated. And in this country right now, the two sides are so separated, you can't walk that line. And if you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit by a truck. Listen to how Joe Biden tries to please everybody. I think those statues belong in museums. They don't belong in public places. And I think with regard to those statues that are in monuments, like the Jefferson Memorial or whatever, I think there's an obligation that the, uh, that the government protect those monuments because they're different than, that's a remembrance. It is not a uh, dealing with, uh, um, you know, revering somebody who had that view. They have much broader views. They may have things in their past that are now and then distasteful, but that's a judgment for the country. So, for example, taking down, toppling Christopher Columbus statue or George Washington statue or et cetera, I think that is something that is the government has an opportunity and a responsibility to protect from happening. So the government has a responsibility to protect Jefferson, who was a far more notorious slaver than a guy like, say, Robert E. Lee, but not Robert E. Lee. Why? Actually, I mean, take it to an even further conclusion, which is the BLM movement, the hard left in America, they think the country is rotten to the core. They think that the founding was hopelessly rotten. That's the thesis of the 1619 Project. So isn't it the case that that the, the founders of this country are the most culpable? Forget about Robert E. Lee. He was just a general who, you know, he was a union general. And then when Virginia pulled away, he went down and, and fought for Virginia. And then he gave up the battle and was an honorable guy after the war. And forget about him. He's a, he's a side note. Really, if you really believe the 1619 Project and BLM's Marxist premises and the radical left, you should most want to topple Jefferson and Washington. Columbus discovered the whole hemisphere. So certainly Columbus has to come down. Joe Biden's answer, like so many of Joe Biden's answers, doesn't make any sense. He's trying to walk that line. And I think some Republicans are trying to walk this line too. They're trying to walk a line. They're trying to play politics 10 years ago when things were a little bit more reasonable, when there was at least the facade of an objective press, when the Democratic Party in this country and Democratic leaders at least pretended to like America. They weren't openly protesting the American flag. They weren't calling the, the 4th of July a white supremacist holiday. They did that. They actually did that, which we'll get to in just one second. That's gone, okay? That's over. We are now at the point where half of this country's political leaders protest the American flag. They don't like the country where we have roving gangs of anarchists setting the country on fire, torching things and elected Democrats egging them on, encouraging them, saying that's a good, just, wonderful cause where we have self-admitted trained Marxists talking openly about how they want to destroy the nuclear family and elected Democrats, frankly, the entire elected establishment embracing it saying, yes, we support this group. You, you can't, you can't thread that needle guys. You have to pick a side. 
And this is true on the statue toppling. Joe Biden's going to have to pick a side on that. I mean, luckily Joe Biden has all of, for him, luckily, he's got all of the institutional support behind him. So he gets away with a lot more. But Republicans, they don't have that advantage. So on something like the lockdowns, you can't run on it a little, okay, maybe we want to open in 15 days. Well, actually it's going to be 30 days and I'd like to open by Easter, but I don't know if we can. And we're going to relock down again. And in Texas, we're going to lock down again. No, pick a side guys. What is it? Is it going to be, you're going to totally lock down and just give up on this presidential election. And I don't know, try again in 10 years or something, or are you going to actually stand up, recognize what is happening to you politically and fight back? We just need, I just wish people saw what was going on. And I know on political campaigns, they get stuck in bubbles, so they don't see it. But for the rest of us out here who are not just in a campaign office and in a campaign bubble, the country is burning to the ground. We are in a unique moment, uncharted territory, at least in recent memory. And the person who wins is going to be the one who is most aware of what is going on right now. I mean, we have in Detroit, there was, a, there was a video that came out yesterday of mobs swarming a cop car, beating the cop car, smashing its windows. And so the cop starts driving sort of slowly. And then obviously when he starts driving and, and won't let the mob totally overtake the car, then they start going completely crazy. He's just trying to jerk out of there. He's, not, he's actually not running over anybody. He's just trying to get out of there. Finally, he, he makes it out. And this is being reported. This is seriously being reported as mostly peaceful protesters surrounding the car and the cop drove into them. Of course, the cop is completely justified into, in, in driving through this crowd. You can't, you can't expect a cop to just stand there and say, okay, come kill me guys. Come kill me raging mob. And yet so many people in this country, they completely straight face say, yeah, it's just a, just a group of peaceful protesters. You've got a gal at Harvard, Harvard senior, who is, uh, just made a, a, you're talking about Harvard University, theoretically one of the elite universities in the country. This Harvard senior makes a video in which she says that if you use the phrase all lives matter instead of black lives matter, then she is going to stab you. Next person who has the sheer nerve, the sheer entitled caucasity to say all lives matter, I'm going to stab you. I'm going to stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut and say, my cut matters too. Did you hear that word? She said caucasity. The word caucasity, she was referring to whiteness, I assume, caucasity, like Caucasian. She's using the word whiteness, the term whiteness, as an insult. Now imagine if you did that with any other race, you would be uh, kicked out of polite society, you'd be investigated for a hate crime. Do you think that this, this girl is going to face any disciplinary action at Harvard? No, I, I don't. I think she'll probably get an award at graduation. Meanwhile, there's a student at Kansas State University who's being threatened with expulsion because he tweeted a disrespectful joke about George Floyd. It's a kind of use, it, it's a, it's a often used joke. I mean, this is an old joke that goes back very far. The, the joke is that George Floyd is now, has now been drug free since he died, you know, but it's, it's a joke that was came up when Whitney Houston died. It it comes up whenever a a celebrity who is a famous drug user dies. People say this, it's very disrespectful. I, you know, I don't think it's a little too soon. I don't think we should be telling jokes about people who have been killed like that shortly after. But this kid is now being threatened with expulsion for telling a, a, a not very nice old joke. This girl 
is going to face no consequences for threatening to stab people for being white and for saying the phrase all lives matter. And now you could say she's telling a joke too. Okay, well, the other guy was telling a joke. Her joke is more offensive. Right? Her joke is far more aggressive and threatening. But that is the kind of aggressive double standard culture that we are living in right now. A Washington Post editor just called for revenge against white women. A Washington Post editor just came out and said, the lies and tears of white women hath wrought the 1921 Tulsa massacre, the murder of Emmett Till, exclusion of black women from feminist movements, 53% of white women voting for Trump. I mean, she's really, really throwing everything uh, at the wall here. White women are lucky that we're just calling them Karens, which is a, a racial term. It's a sort of like funny one, but it is a racial term and not calling for revenge. This is not patience and strength. It's the result of n- knowing the price of resistance and that much, that much blood would be spilt. We must get away from the idea that enduring abuse is admirable. I'm just saying, be happy we're calling for equality and not actual revenge. Well, what I'm hearing these days is not any call for equality from the left. I'm hearing calls for revenge, which is why they're burning down the country and killing people. So it, it is explicitly a call for revenge. I want to focus though on that line. She said, this is an editor of the Washington Post. She says, we must get away from the idea that enduring abuse is admirable. Also known as the Christian understanding of suffering. The idea that we suffer and suffering can be sanctifying. This is, this is how our civilization traditionally has understood suffering. I mean, even other ancient understandings of suffering is that we all suffer. There is There is no utopian political solution to the world. There will be pain and we must endure that pain. And that pain deepens our character and shapes us and can be, we can either react to that in a good ennobling way, or we can react to that in a debasing way. This is obviously the case, but for leftist utopians, they think that any suffering is an affront to what they deserve. They they don't deserve any pain in the world. Are you kidding I mean, they, look, these, these are people who celebrate pride for an entire month, the American left. Pride, the, the deadliest of the seven deadly sins. So they just are not equipped for the, the simple fact of the human condition that there is suffering and you will suffer. And suffering actually can be a helpful thing in your, in your character development. They don't, they, they just want to abolish it, which is never going to happen. And it's why they get more and more frustrated as it happens. Democrats are now, I'm not just saying one or two random Democrats, I'm saying the Democratic Party is now referring to the 4th of July as a white supremacist holiday. They tweeted out because President Trump is planning to hold a rally at Mount Rushmore. They tweeted out, quote, Trump has disrespected native communities time and again. He's attempted to limit their voting rights and blocked critical pandemic relief. Not true, but whatever. Now he is holding a rally glorifying white supremacy at Mount Rushmore, a region once sacred to tribal communities. What does that mean? I'm sure the, I'm sure the place that the Democratic National Committee office is on was once sacred to Native American communities in the sense that there were Native Americans before Europeans settled the continent. But forget that double standard too. They're referring to a 4th of July rally as a white supremacist rally. Now, some people are saying, no, no, the Democrats are just referring to Mount Rushmore as a white supremacist site, which again, doesn't, that still doesn't make any sense. Do you think Abraham Lincoln is a white supremacist, the man who freed the slaves? I don't think so. 
George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all you call them white supremacists. I don't think so. Really what they mean is they're white guys and all white people, white, white is bad now. And all white people are white supremacists. That's really what the left is saying. That's really what that Harvard girl is saying. But that's actually not, that's not even the Democrats point here because the Democrats are saying Trump is holding a rally glorifying white supremacy at Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is just the site of the rally glorifying white supremacy. Well, what's the rally glorifying white supremacy? It's Trump's 4th of July rally. So the thing that they are, if you just parse the sentence, the thing that they are accusing of being white supremacist is the 4th of July, which is not surprising to anyone who's been paying attention. Anyone who has realized what's going on, the left has captured all of the institutions of this country, including and especially the Democratic Party. They hate this country. They hate it with a burning passion, a passion that burns so hot that it's now burning down cities. And they want to tear it down. Anyone who listened when Barack Obama said, I want to fundamentally transform America may have realized, huh, I guess he doesn't like America all that much because you don't want to fundamentally transform things that you like. Anyone who was listening, who was reading the New York Times 1619 Project, who was listening, who's been watching as they've been tearing down the statues. We are in a particularly radical moment. You hear every presidential campaign, this is the most important campaign of our lifetimes. In a way, it's always true because things happen gradually, then suddenly, so you're getting closer and closer to some real danger. The danger is here. Police departments are going away. Cities are on fire. They want to blow up Mount Rushmore. (laughs) People have jokingly, somewhat jokingly, and then somewhat earnestly suggested that. The danger is here. If, If we don't rise to this occasion as a political matter, we might not get another shot. You see how the deck is stacked against you at the Supreme Court, in the administrative government, in everywhere. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. You can try to fight again in 10 years or 20 years. Maybe you'll be able to claw something back. But I think we're all realizing at this moment where a major political party is calling the 4th of July a white supremacist terrible holiday, trying to cancel it. I think we realize that we're on the verge of something really being lost. Our history, our culture, our cities, our country itself Will we rise to the occasion or will we realize it all too late? I hope it's the former. I hope people are listening to the show today. (laughs) All right. We've got a lot more. We'll get to it tomorrow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. 
Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Supreme Court says states can't penalize religious schools and the left is mad. Why do they hate God? I'll explain. And we'll also have the Chinese mailbag where the wisdom is infectious on The Andrew Claven Show.